Welcome to Hope is not a strategy, the podcast with strategy stories by and for real strategy makers. My name is Christian Underwood, entrepreneur and strategy maker. And my name is Jürgen Weigand, professor of economics at the WHU Otto Beisheim School of Management. With our podcast, we want to debug the myth of strategy and show you how strategizing can help you in these volatile times. And as always, Jürgen, we start our podcast with a nice guiding question. How do we succeed in a precise situation analysis? Thank you for that question. Let me counter the question. What is a situation analysis? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me, let me start. Um, whenever we think about the future and how we can stay relevant in the future, we have to start with who are we today? Mm -hmm. What is our status quo? Mm -hmm. How have we come to today? And how has the past been different from today? And how might the future be different? So I have to do a very careful, thorough analysis of the current situation I'm in. And this is independent of whether we are talking about companies mm -hmm. or nonprofit organizations sure. mm -hmm. or individuals. Uh, personally, I also need a strategy. And <laughs> I can only start if I know where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. That's a starting point. But uh, another question. Do uh, yeah, company owners or business leaders really know where they stand? They should. <laughs> They should. But yeah. uh, drawing on our experiences mm. uh, from business practice and from our consulting practice, they rarely do. Mm. Because they they're blind on, on one eye or uh, do not want to see the reality. That could be one reason, mm. but I think they are completely consumed by daily routines. Mm. And um, more or less the outcomes they look at are the ones they've already seen before. Yeah, well, sure. Successful companies might get stuck in that kind of trap that they say, okay, we've done well, mm -hmm. and they ignore certain side effects, developments, which could be very crucial for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not because they're stupid or whatever, but yeah. I think there's an overflow of information at any time, mm -hmm. and you still have to continue with your daily routine. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about is strategy making so i first have mm. to analyze and without mm. an analysis i can't really tell what's going on yeah absolutely and uh, you already said it it's an overflow of information of data yeah and without data an analysis is not possible so we need quantitative and qualitative data yeah absolutely i mean i'm an economist by training so mm. i i'm very used to using quantitative data yeah absolutely but <laughs> i learned i've learned over the past 25 years, mm. how important qualitative data are, mm. especially when you try to figure out what's going on with an organization. Whatever I think about strategy, it will only work or can be only implemented mm. if we align the organization behind mm. the strategy. So I have to understand the organization mm. made yeah. up of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that starts with listening. Yeah? Listening is a high quality <laughs> of leaders, yeah. of anyone. That's the management skill yeah. number one in these times, def, I think. Def, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Listening to, to others. Mm. Uh, qualitative information can be very useful to get the bigger picture. Yeah? Mm. When you look at numbers, balance sheet numbers or whatever it is, this is fine. Then I can well see how my key performance indicators have changed over time. But we want to know why. So in the internal view would be, to ask the people in the organization what they think. So mm. this is part of it. This is basically from outside in, mm -hmm. but we also need inside out. 
We have to look at the other elements because companies never are alone in the market. Mm. Maybe even if you only are a government-protected monopoly, but that rarely happens. But even these uh, kind of uh, animals are typically subjected to competition at some point mm -hmm. in time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, when when we look at uh, analysis, um, which is the, the second step in our workflow, in our strategy workflow, in yes. our, in our uh, book, um, and it's also um, a big part of our strategy frame itself with six modules. Yes. Uh, we have their customers, market, competition, trends, um, the environment, uh, and the own realities. <laughs> so these are the, the, the six playing fields or battlegrounds, I would say, yeah. because strategy comes from, uh, from that uh, thing. But uh, let us start with customers and how... Yeah, how companies or how should I look at customers and their uh, needs? Uh, going, look into the future, what they really need, what they need today, and 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 yeah, how, how can we how can we find that out? Let me start by quoting Michael Porter, mm -hmm. the guru of, of strategy, yeah. mm -hmm. who said, "Well, the essence of strategy is being different from your rivals." Mm -hmm. And the key aspect here is how can we be different? And this is not defined by us. It's defined by our customers. Mm -hmm. They tell you whether they think your product or service is different from the competitor's offerings. So understanding the customer is key. I know there are all these concepts out there like customer centricity. All correct. But do companies really live that? I mean, I think we all have these experiences. Yeah, 99%? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, yeah. You want something from your telecom mm. provider. You are stuck in their hotline for 45 minutes. Mm. You're completely annoyed. This is customer centricity, yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So understanding the customer and anticipating what the customer may want in the future, the preferences, the taste Changes maybe, mm -hmm. that's important. I know this is the realm of marketing people, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, this is an important aspect. If I don't get that right, if I'm not clear about my customer base, the whole market, a niche in the market or whatever, mm -hmm. how can I be successful? Well, yeah. This is like uh, working with moving targets. Yeah. If I don't know who my customers are and what they really need, yeah. I will lose out at the yeah. end of the day. And that's why for me, it's not, um, that, and, and for you too, it's not only a marketing game because we have to know all of us, all of uh, the, the whole leadership team in the company needs to know about the customers. And there's yeah. a, a, a short story uh, on that. I had one client and uh, we started to think about um, the customers and their needs. And then I asked them, um, okay, when was the last time you visited your customers? And there was silence. <laughs> and it was yeah five years, six years, or even longer. And then we say, okay, we start a customer shadowing, going outside, uh, beside the clients, look how they use our products. But then nobody went out. Nobody went to the customers. And it was really crazy. Uh, I never expected that because there was no real interest in finding that out because there was more interest in uh, producing the stuff more efficiently. Yeah. So no, that's a comfort zone. No? Getting out of that comfort zone, getting to the client, experience things, you get some insights and you bring them back uh, impulses to yeah do new things, create new products and things like that. Yeah. 
See, the reason for that, one of the reasons is definitely time investment. Mm. Yeah, right? absolutely. No? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't think that um, company people are not uh, interested in their, in their mm -hmm. customers. Mm -hmm. But you have your routine business. Mm -hmm. You have to deliver on tasks each and every day. Yeah? And then comes strategy making in the way. And suddenly someone tells you, go out mm -hmm. and do customer shedding. And you say, well, I don't have time. I have to yeah. work up that list Huh? So I think that's an important aspect mm. in, in, in reality that people say, well, is it worth it? Huh? Yeah. How much time can I invest and what do I learn from it? Mm. Huh? I, I think you learn uh, what to do next in your operations. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. therefore, it really helps to spend those one day at a customer site because it will save you months or years of producing and uh, developing products that no one needs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we, we have to be very fair to, to some of the, the company population out there mm -hmm. because there are people who do that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Are, absolutely. Especially yeah. when we talk about, um, let's say, mechanical engineering products mm -hmm. and things like that. They mm -hmm. work very closely with their customers absolutely, because yeah. the customers tell them, this is what I want, right? They're really baked in. I exactly. In and if you have turnkey mm -hmm. projects, you have mm -hmm. to work very closely with your yeah, customer. Sure. In the B2C business, this is very different. Mm -hmm. yeah? This is where we see a lot of ignorance mm -hmm. yeah? and say, yeah, yeah, we're customer-centric, but at the end of the day, they are not. You know, yeah. They don't really care too much about their customers as long as the revenues come in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, revenues come in if there is enough potential in your relevant market, which is the second module yes. that we're talking about. So, relevant market, what does that mean? Let me start with making clear that when we talk about a market, this is very different from an industry mm -hmm. or something like uh, a sector. That, that's different. These are definitions typically used by statistical offices. So an industry typically has many different markets. Mm -hmm. uh, and not all players, industry players, are active in all of these markets. So we have to be... Uh, we have to decide what we want to do in which markets we want to be active. The relevant market concept is it comes from competition policy and an antitrust law saying, well, who's really competing with whom for which customers, right? And the market always has two sides, the supply side and the demand side. We've already talked about the demand side, the customers, their preferences, and so on and so forth. On the supply side, we have us, the firm we're interested in, and the competition, Right, that defines the relevant market. When I when we talk to industry representatives and ask them, well, who is in your industry? Uh, they could come up with a long list of names, mm -hmm. but when we ask them more deeply, who are your direct competitors? In most cases, in almost all cases, we hear, yeah, but it's only two or three or maybe four mm -hmm. direct competitors. But this is what counts in a relevant market yeah, sure. because it defines whether you can be different coming back to my mm. original quote, sure. different from the rivals. What can mm. I do differently to attract customers and also keep them? So what is the kind of winning proposition I can use for that market? Mm. If I don't have a winning proposition, I shouldn't be Doesn't in this market. Work, yeah. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. But um, also, yeah, funny, funny, funny thing. Uh, when, when we talk to uh, leaders out there, uh, they always, when we're talking about theoretical market potential 
Well, they rarely know it really <laughs> because we can look into their uh, customer relationship management center and look at the data in the market. And yeah, we have cases where 50% is not even in the system. So, um, but how then they can define what is their market share? Uh, yeah. it's, uh, because if they do not know the 100% in the market and have just a view on the 50%, yeah, they look pretty good <laughs> on their way. But uh, yeah, mainly it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a problem and uh, it's a tough work to do. Also, it's a profession by itself. Oh, oh absolutely. Talking about market share, mm. which is a treacherous concept mm. uh, because it's a relative measure. Mm. How do I stand relative to the size of the market? Mm. Uh, you mentioned that. What is the yeah. size of the market? What yeah. is the market potential? And how much of that market potential can I capture? If I define the market very narrowly, I might be the only <laughs> remaining player. I'm the niche player and yeah, my market share is 100%. Yeah, I'm yeah. the hero. Yeah? Mm. If I take a, a bigger picture of the market, I might have a minuscule market mm. share. So mm. um, measuring how we stand as compared to the competition, we have to use different approaches and concepts. And mm. my personal approach is not just looking at a number like the market mm -hmm. share, but we have to ask, why is the market share as it is? Mm -hmm. What is it actually that attracts customers to our products and services? And what about the non-customers? Absolutely. And But when we look at it, the, the competitors, um, it's often really hard for business leaders uh, to find out, yeah, What's their profitability? Uh, how they how they perform against to us, and even to get that kind of data is not easy in each and every industry. Yeah, um, but it's helpful uh, to, to 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 get a feeling of uh, what is their cost structure against our cost structure, and how can we perform. See, there is a bit of information that can be used. Mm. I mean, information that is publicly available. Yeah. If you have players uh, who are um, publicly listed companies, mm -hmm. and you can look at their balance sheet data yeah, and sure. get some kind of a rough idea. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. Then you have been in the industry or in the market for a time, so you know what's going on there. You hear yeah. from your customers. The customers anyway try to negotiate with you and mm -hmm. tell you, listen, but your competitor is better there. Yeah. Then you do some kind of re-engineering mm -hmm. uh, of the product, of the service, try to figure out what is their cost base. So, yeah, you can come pretty close to an idea why are they profitable and how profitable they are uh, yeah. compared to the rest of the industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, therefore, even if you have no clue, uh, <laughs> there are there are players in the market uh, like Sedura, a partner of us, yes. uh, that we're partnering with our software um, from Bochum. And they, they have a really digital market intelligence tool where they have Metacrawler to find out that data of prices of your competitors um, or key uh, figures of their products um, compared to yours and even the relevant market sets. So um, we put uh, Cedura also in the show notes for those who are interested in that. But uh, yeah, looking from coming from that side, uh, going now to the future, the trends, what's coming up in the next year. So it's it's a discipline on on its own. Yeah? True. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, how do we define our future? Or our future of the company, where do we want to play? What is really relevant for us of these crazy trends? I'm a big fan of a strategic and a structured systematic approach. Mm -hmm. We're all part of different systems. Yes. And whatever we do in the system has consequences and side effects. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in the short run, yes. but our past actions may have consequences in the longer run, mm -hmm. in the future. So this is why we need to understand what's going on there. And I think gut's feeling 
doesn't really help or past experiences. Yes. So we have to get some kind of a systematic view on what could possibly happen in the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. there are these uh, tools like scenario analyses and so on. But what could be the scenarios? Mm -hmm. Now, let me come back to the point you said earlier, there are specialized uh, providers yeah. out there yeah. in the market that might be quite uh, useful for smaller companies. Mm -hmm. Because what, what we are talking about, this kind of competitive intelligence and future intelligence mm -hmm. and so on, needs resources. Big companies can afford to have a unit, a strategy unit, only focusing on getting that kind of information. But smaller players can't. It's much too expensive, but they can make use of division of labor. Mm. And this is why I like digital solutions, digital transformation. We have these providers out there yeah. who can screen the market for you, even aggregate the data and interpret the data to some extent. And then you get it and take your own mm. view on it. So yeah. you get more than just the guess. It's going to be an educated guess. And this is what I strongly support mm -hmm. any company to do, big or small. Get more than, let, let's call it like looking into the crystal ball and trusting your gut's feeling. Yeah, absolutely. One of that partners, and we even have the trend radar from them yeah. in our book, uh, from Trend One in uh, in Hamburg, uh, is that they do really great um, international, globally trend scouting, finding micro trends, micro trends with startups uh, on universities and uh, cluster them together to relevant uh, trends for you and uh, yeah, macro trends that are relevant for you. And then you can use this visualization tool um, yeah, to make decisions uh, where just were we still watching the trends or do we have to act? Which is a really different thing because if there are 20,000 trends out there that could be maybe relevant for you, you cannot do everything because resources are limited in money and people, especially at that time. And you have to decide, are we now doing this artificial intelligent thing or do we even know some new business modeling? No, you're absolutely right. With limited resources, you have to make tough decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah, there are trade-offs. If I want to do more of this, I can't do less of the other thing. Um, but my suggestion is, uh, if I can't do it on my own, mm -hmm. let's look around. Could there be cooperation partners who yes. can help you? Because uh, I'm an economist, so yeah. I'm fully into division of labor. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever the market grow or the markets grow, then there is room for division of labor. Now, with technology-driven trends, they will be integrated by new service providers and yeah, you can sure. take advantage of that mm. and do that kind of competitive and future intelligence using them rather than building up internal resources and people. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, coming back now to a next module, um, which is... Yeah, your home turf, I would say, uh, the macro level. Uh, how is that relevant? Okay, now now I'm thinking of uh, the, the 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 war in Ukraine, which has really massive uh, massive impact on the energy uh, supply for yeah companies even in Germany. Um, uh, costs are rising like hell. So, uh, what are these things that are going on out in that fear and, and how can I analyze that and what is really relevant for me? Okay, first of all, we call it macro because mm -hmm. it is overarching everything else. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it affects, when we look at the company level, each and every company, mm -hmm. maybe differently, but yes. everyone has to face uh, the inflation pressure and things like that, geopolitics, um, 
trade wars, which change exchange uh, rates and stuff like that. So this applies to everyone. Mm -hmm. So we need to, or what I would uh, always advise uh, decision makers and companies, mm -hmm. Get an understanding of how things are connected, connecting the dots, what is cause, what is effect, and how could that matter for our organization now mm -hmm. and in the future mm -hmm. to really think about it, how things uh, relate to each other and what it means for my company. Mm -hmm. The pandemic brought about uh, almost complete breakdown of supply yes. chains, at Absolutely. least in, in the short mm -hmm. run. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that affected everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Especially the harbor, harbor absolutely. In, in Shanghai. Or absolutely. Uh, containers were not available anymore. Mm. Yeah, you can't, couldn't ship Huge material problem. and yeah. input factors. So that kind of view on around my own market setup, this is very important. This is um, something that uh, defines strategically oriented players from not so strategically oriented players or reactive players absolutely and now the last one the own realities yeah. the really tough stuff we you do not want to look at <laughs> so why don't we want to look at our own realities well because we fear something may come up which is not very favorable to us mm -hmm. so some people say the truth is out there And this is the kind of truth we have to face. And if we don't do it, then we are basically ignoring important facets of our own organization. We can't just look at uh, the good things and the great things. We also have to, um, well, somehow tackle the things that may have been inefficient, mm -hmm. ineffective, and ask why is it so. We can only if improve if we learn from our failures or mistakes. Absolutely. And there's one question uh, that I really love, and we also have it in the book, uh, but uh, we are still using it uh, with each and every client uh, when we're asking uh, or challenging their own realities. Where do you really make money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I already approached the idea of uh, a winning proposition. Mm -hmm. How can I gain customers and how can I keep them by being different from the competition? That's not all. It also has to be a paying proposition. Paying means it has to be profitable. Mm -hmm. It's nice to gain a lot of customers and the customers are happy, <laughs> but if you don't make any money with them, yeah. then you have a problem. Uh, there's this famous Pareto rule saying uh, if we transfer that to the business um, situation, then you would say 80% of your revenues come from only 20% of your customers or your clients. Mm -hmm. So what about the other 80%? Obviously, they're not really paying, maybe. yeah. We have to basically screen who is really profitable, for whom does it make sense that we keep that customer. Sometimes it's also worthwhile to have a customer who is not right now profitable because it can have some kind of side effects to gain other customers mm -hmm. uh, because you have this customer. Sure, uh? yeah. So um, you have to look at the whole portfolio of your customers and there you also have to be efficient and say, okay, for now, a particular customer is profitable. We keep the customer. Uh, in the future, we may add new customers who are more profitable. Mm -hmm. Then I have to screen out and say, okay, we want to, by decision, lose certain customers. Mm, absolutely. So now we have done the sixth module of uh, our or <laughs> your own uh, situation analysis. But what to do now? 
we have seen all the data, heavy analysis. Uh, costs you a lot of time. How how long does it take normally? What's your experience? Okay, it depends very much on how much resources you can and spend. Complexity and complexity of the complexity company. of the mm. organization is mm. a big organization. What kind of market environment sure. and so on? How easily can you get the kind of data you mm. you need? Um, I would say from my own experience between four weeks and 12 weeks so one to three months mm -hmm. you should definitely dedicate to that kind of analysis i always tell uh, managers and, and students be really thorough in your analysis and then this comes as a well insight to the real decision makers so if i'm the ceo of a company I would delegate the task of the situation analysis. Absolutely. And to I a group. Would, huh? to, a to a group, group. yeah. You need only more, one, yeah, one guy. One, yeah. one person mm. can't really do it on his or her own. Mm. And then I want to have questions answered. So the key or the important issue for the leadership is to basically pose these questions. Mm -hmm. I can only answer if there are questions, yes. right? right? So this is why I said it has to be thorough because if I have a set of four or five questions, mm -hmm. then you need some time to find the answers. Mm -hmm. Then show the answers to the leadership team, those mm -hmm. who are really in charge of strategy making. And then you can go into the next step, which would be, well, we want to decide what mm -hmm. we won't do anymore in the future. And yeah. what from there we derive what we can do in the future. And that's the strategy workshop. <laughs> the next step would be yeah, the strategy the, workshop. The, the, the famous strategy workshop, which yeah, sometimes uh, comes, uh, yeah, clients calling up and saying, ah, we have a strategy workshop next week. Uh, can you come <laughs> <laughs> facilitate that? And uh, normally it's uh, then, uh, yeah, you have no analysis. You have just looked yeah. at maybe one point and uh, yeah, that's not really helpful. So it needs preparation because on that kind of preparation, then you know where you stand. And if you know where you stand, you know how far you can reach out, what kind of goals you can reach, what's your target vision then. If you do not know where you stand, you do not know how long the journey to the moon will take you. Absolutely. And maybe it's Mars because, because you're even at the moon. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then we're back to the start. Mm-hmm. The situation analysis is a start, but it's not the real start. The real start is your planning. Yes. And to be very clear here, mm -hmm. strategy is a plan. Strategy is not planning. But to make strategy, you have to plan ahead and say, which steps do I have to take when? And the first step is your situation analysis. Mm -hmm. and then everything else of the strategy process happens later on. Yeah, and that's why we provide you with the planning as our first workflow step in the book. And for free in our digital tool um, with the strategy frame, w uh, yeah, at uh, strategy-frame.com. You can go there for free, plan your strategy process and even uh, know who you could involve and uh, yeah, how how long, how much time do you have to do analysis and uh, where, where the strategy workshop takes place and who's in for that. So therefore, we, we, we strongly advise you to plan your process, but not over planning strategy. Uh, it's not a yes. planning and controlling process. Definitely not. I mean, We also have to keep in mind that uh, strategy is something that is not cast in stone. Mm. Why? Very simple, because the environment keeps changing. So we also have to adjust our strategy while we're going. I think this is very essential. We have a general idea of the direction where we're going. We have a general idea about the process as mm -hmm. such. And once we're implementing and experimenting in the market, we learn new things. 
we get new insights. And with these insights, we can develop further. So it's a living thing. Strategy, like the organization. Yeah, it never is, stops. It never stops. It's mm. a living thing. And mm. the, the organization is a li living organism. Uh, mm. So we have to adjust. And this is something, well, I always like to refer to Darwin. Yeah? Mm -hmm. How do species evolve over time? And companies and people are part of that. Absolutely. And yeah, we're now at the end uh, of this situa situation analysis podcast um, episode. But yeah, Jürgen, one advice from you if uh, yeah, someone is sitting there now and say, I want to start now with the analysis, what should he or she do? First of all, plan ahead and say, when do we do what? When do we start with the situation analysis? When should be the first results out there mm. to be presented to those who lead the strategy process. What kind of data is available uh, is also kind? really Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much, Jürgen. Um, yeah, to our listeners outside, uh, we really appreciate if you uh, send us some stars at Apple Podcast, uh, if you really like that episode. Uh, but we really would also appreciate if you send in some questions or topics that you're interested in, that we can plan our next episodes on. And uh, you can send them to Christian at strategy-frame.com. You can post them on LinkedIn to us or even Instagram um, on our Hoffnung ist keine Strategie account. Uh, so use what we already have and uh, we really would love to bring you new insights and knowledge from the strategy process to you. So thank you very much, Jürgen, again. And I'm looking forward to our next podcast episode. Thank you very much, Christian. As always, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to our next encounter. Absolutely. Bye-bye.